today is not Spencer. I've got Jamie, uh, Jamie on the call. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing well. I am glad I can up. Sorry, Spencer. Yep. So we, uh, it's you and I doing a two-man weave today, two-man pod. I don't think we've ever done just a podcast with just me and you before. No. But no. we are longtime friends. We know each other very well. And we are going to check in on Andor. We've been talking a lot on the Mega Talks Podcast Network about doing a quick Andor check-in. I don't know how quick this is going to be because we're going to cover the first six episodes. That's a lot of it. That's a lot of episodes. We're going to talk Andor. We're going to go episode by episode, talk about what we've seen in the first six episodes, and sort of break it down. Spencer is not caught up on Andor for shame, for shame, Spencer, but you and I are. Jamie, what are your first thoughts of Andor, the new Star Wars series? So I love it. I think it's great. I love that it's different. I I think I've said on the podcast, I know I've said to you that I think what makes Star Wars so good is that they've made such a great world where you can tell stories and tell stories about people and that it's always fun when there's this big, you know, the Empire and the Jedi and big stuff going on. But the stories are best when the stories are about individual people and what those individual people are doing in this amazing world. And I feel like they've, they've leaned into it here uh, almost almost. I mean, it makes sense that it would be reminiscent of Rogue One since, you know, and or. Yeah. But the same people I, making I, it too. So some of the same people behind Rogue One are making this makes perfect sense. I, I love that they're leaning into that. I love that they're focusing on people while still clearly being obviously very in Star Wars and Empire. I love that they're expanding in some of those things like the Empire itself. Um uh, on on how that all exists in the background. Um, I, I can talk more as we go, but I, I love the little details, how they're fleshing it out, how they're showing stuff behind, uh, not behind the scenes, but kind of behind the glitz and the glamour, just what's actually happening in the background while all the other stuff's going on. Um, how they're focusing on people. Love it. Uh, I, I do like um, Obi-Wan better. I'll just put that out there. Obi-Wan is actually, Obi-Wan and Mandalorian are my favorite of all the, like non nine movies, but this one's probably my third favorite thing outside of the nine movies. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So I would say, so I love it. Um, I would say it's, I definitely like it more than Obi-Wan. I like it more than Boba Fett. It's, it's close with me and Mandalorian um, as some of the best Star Wars products. That's not the main movies I've ever seen. Uh, I, I like it more than Clone Wars, which I know is like heresy for a lot of people, but I, I get, I'm getting so much world building from it. And that's really what mm-hmm. I'm after. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. We'll talk more about that as we go. But if you are enjoying this podcast and you join Mangum Talks Podcast Network, we do have a new podcast coming out. Jamie, I don't know if you've heard about this, but Spencer and I are covering The White Lotus. Uh, I've started watching that a little bit. It's kind of weird. I, I'm not sure I'm going to keep up with the show or not. I don't know it's quite in my, my milieu. But it's it's interesting. It's fun. So season one and season two are completely different. Just completely it's one of these like serial shows where it's serial within the season, but then it okay. just is completely different. They toss the cast, they it's a brand new area, brand new story, brand new everything for season uh, two. So if you don't like season one, you know, it's good and bad, right? Like you you have to pick up new characters, but at the same time it's also very different than season one if you didn't like it. But yeah. Spencer and I are gonna be covering that um over I'll on pro- enjoy your I'll probably stay. follow it and you for season one because the setting is part of what i like so much so if they're changing that i don't know if it'll be worth well wait a second if you like i mean like they're 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 switching it to uh white lotus italy so if you like if you like the fact that it's beautiful outside uh there you go it's gonna be beautiful there too yeah we got we got beauty where i live too they, we don't have hawaii where i live I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot. 
so if you you know if you liked season one of White Lotus, I think season two is going to be right in the same vein, and it's going to be from the White Lotus Hotel in I think Milan, maybe or Sicily, something like that. And from Italy, and Spencer and I will be covering that week by week on a podcast feed called Enjoy Your Stay, an unofficial White Lotus review podcast. Enjoy Your Stay, an unofficial White Lotus review podcast that is now up on all major podcast platforms. Please go subscribe and listen to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can I share some headcanon for you? Fire away. White Lotus and any other TV show you want is actually a TV show that takes place that is shown on TV screens in the Star Wars world with a preface of in a galaxy far, far away, far, far in the future. Oh, the flip. Hey, I saw yeah. – that's funny. I saw our funny tweet the other day, which, like, it's not, like, 100% fair, but it's, like, fair enough that, like, it made me laugh, which was um, – the Mandalorian now looks like something that would be showing on TV screens in the background while the Andor characters do like real important shit. <laughs> like, like, like the buddy cop that is the, the Western that is the Mandalorian, you know, palling around the universe with Grogu is like what they would there. That's their like Saturday morning cartoons as they like plan a rebellion and fight the empire, which I thought I, was pretty funny. I, I, I do like that. Yeah, that made me laugh. So we're going to go through, I think, the first six episodes, because it's just going to be a 12-episode season, I believe. Yeah, it's going to have nice. And, and yeah, end of six I, is a nice big, uh, you know, kind of goes out with a bang. Yeah, I think it really, like, they almost could have done two seasons, right? They could have stopped it at episode six and started again with episode seven, like, with a, like, or maybe, if not, like, a new season or, like, part two of the season, right? Because it kind of, like, is a condensed uh, operation there in episodes one through six. So we'll go through each episode. I've actually, um, shout out to me, podcast professional. I've actually written, um, a little bit of summaries for each of the episodes that I can go through for each of those. And then we'll go through and talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. And what I'm really interested in is like, you know, you always like, one thing that you do is you like discount your Star Wars knowledge. Like you'll be like, yo, you and Spencer know more about Star Wars than me. But like you know more about Star Wars, way more about Star Wars than the average person, right? So I'm really interested in somebody who I think um, is like an expert in Star Wars, how they think about the show because it's just so different than anything Star Wars has ever done before. And like you, okay. know, you like the I, sequel movies, right? And the sequel movies yeah. – are very Disney. Like they, they just, uh, that's not, I'm not saying that as negative. I'm really not. Like they're just more Disney than other things. So if you Can like that. Can put in that, a sound for, for the, for the sound of me rolling my eyes at you? Cause I feel like, I feel like we need that for the audience. It's a little, it's a little more Disney than, than some of the other stuff. Right? I mean, it's that, literally a hundred percent more Disney than the others, but that's, that doesn't mean what I feel like you're implying it means. I would say that, well, let, let's put it this way then. Let's scrap the Disney reference. It's, those three movies, I think, are better suited to show younger children than Andor is. Um, like you wouldn't uh, show I mean, a ten-year-old yes. Andor, but you would show a ten-year-old Force Awakens, right? Like that's my, that's kind of my point is well, that it's it's a bigger umbrella than what Andor is. I'm not trying to shit on the sequel movies. Settle all, down. I'm all, not trying to fight that battle right now. What I'm saying movies. is that they're very different than Andor, and so I'm interested in how you think that fits in with everything and how you compare it. All nine of the movies are more suitable to show to kids than Rogue One and Andor. Like it, Rogue One Absolutely. and Andor are just more um, nuanced, gray, paced, um, you know, ad- adult fare. You know, I, I, I actually just yesterday um, we stopped part way through because it's time for bed. But my my five year old and eight year old just started episode four as their first Star Wars movie. I'm disappointed, though, because they're not going to get, I think, any spoilers because they've been watching Lego Star Wars for like a year. So I think they know everything. So. 
fine. No, no big surprises and reveals for you kids. But anyway, like they can watch the main movies, but I, I wouldn't be showing them Andor and Rogue One. You're right, just because that's so, aimed at a different audience. I yeah. So I think that like the the knee jerk reaction is, hey, you're 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 shitting on the sequels again, which I do a lot of on this podcast. But I'm not here. I I brought up sequels because they're the most recent movie, recent of the main movies, right? Mm-hmm. And this like that was in the last like ten years they've done those movies, and then you also have now this sort of new angle that they're going. And so I'm just interested to hear how you think that fits in and and how you compare it if you'd like it more or less, basically. At, at the risk of of burning time on something irrelevant, can we agree that episode one is more Disney than episode seven through nine? Uh yeah probably yeah okay good sure. no, that, yeah yeah for if, sure if you agree I mean, to that I'll agree to whatever you want that's fine yeah the main movies I mean all the main movies are more suited for children than what we're seeing here in Andor right yeah. so that's what I'm that's how I'm in, that's what I'm interested in is like uh, are we do we really want more adult Star Wars or not right so um so it, then then we'll talk about you know overall themes of stuff stuff we want to see and don't want to see in the next yeah. six episodes going forward because I, I do have some thoughts about like where it's going and what I I hope they don't do um going forward. So, so there's something interesting that I hadn't really thought of before. In most of the movies, when you have good guy characters, they have conflict between them, but it's like personality conflicts or how to get things about conflicts or kind of priority conflicts, but they're all very clearly wanting the same thing. Like even when Han bails and they're upset that he's bailing, like they all want the same thing and they just have different needs and different perspectives. It's not universal, but it's kind of true. It's kind of more clear that good guys all kind of want the same stuff and the bad guys all kind of want the same stuff. And in Rogue One and Andor, that's not the case. You have good guys who actively think you should do completely different things. Um, and, and that, you know, we're not, I, I want a hard cut and not get past episode six. So we'll talk about things past that. We're recording this after episode uh, a little bit more um, keeps going. But um, I, I do like that. I think that's part of the nuance. Kids do better when there's a little bit more clear understanding of who the heroes and the villains are. Mm-hmm. This is leaning harder into what I think a lot of people need to recognize. I saw somebody point out that the idea of heroes and villains actually hurts media. The idea of protagonists and antagonists is what you should do. You can have protagonist villains, and you do. And the problem is when people have protagonist villains, they start cheering for them because they don't understand protagonist villains are still villains, you know, so you fight or something. Damon Damon and House of the Dragon, for instance. Oh, we can talk about that on another day. But um, well, I'm just saying, like, they're, they're, or like, I don't know, Walter White, Breaking Bad, like they, they, this, yeah. this rise of the anti anti hero thing is very prevalent in a lot right. of the prestige television right now. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of media like that where you know the protagonist is a villain, and even the creators say, if you find somebody where this is their favorite book or favorite movie, don't trust that person because I'm proud of it. It's a good thing, you know, you know, um, Cats in the Rye or whatever. Um, Rick and Morty, whatever. It's like great, great shows, great, great characters, but the protagonists are not necessarily the heroes, and and you got to recognize that. Um, this is this is by the way the the I mean among other things the value you bring to the Manga Pucks Podcast Network. You just threw in very casually, you know, like you know, like Catcher in the Rye and Rick and Morty, like you just but but bundled together, like everybody knows those two things and just joined at the I, hip. I, I think it was hilarious. You know, I think it's fine. Uh, I, I, look, I've never read Catch in the Rye. Everybody knows about it. Whatever. It's just, dude, don't, don't put me on the spot. Anyway, uh, this, this is Love really – Love Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. This, this, and or I think that's what I kind of mean by the more sophisticated, more adult is that 
Um, the protagonists are not all on the same side of universal good, and they all are correct all the time, and it's just personality conflicts. It's actually that they sometimes want conflicting different things. Some of them might be against each other at some point, and they're all still trying to do good, and that's part of why kids just wouldn't enjoy it. Um, they get confused in ways that they might in, not even be able to articulate. So I, I think you're right. Um, I, I, I Jumping around a little bit, I, I wanted to see. I, I had teased Lee that he was never going to be able to guess what my favorite thing about Andor was. Favorite's the wrong word, maybe, but the thing about Andor that's special, unique, I pay attention to, and I watch for every episode. Do you have any new guests before I tell our captivated audience? Well... So let me go right back a second. You, oh, we, we can say so, that. You want to say that till the end? No, no, no. no let's do it. But, like, I just want to point out, like, when you're talking about, like, how it's a little bit more difficult to parse who's the hero and who the villain is in Andor, I think that, like, that's part of the value of mm-hmm. removing the Jedi completely from the story. Because, like, they build – in a lot of the main series, they build this idea of the dark versus the light, the Jedi versus the Sith, good versus bad. And that's very easy for people to pick up on, right? Like, oh, I root yep. for Luke against Darth Vader, right? Like, easy enough. Yep. That's completely removed from the story. And now yep. – so you don't have those easy parallels of, oh, well, I just – like, are these two poles, right? Um, and that's some of that's some of the smart thing they're doing there. Like a lot of the people are upset. There's not a lot of legacy characters in this, but it's like I think that adds a lot of value to it because you're sort of muddling through with these gray characters trying to oh, figure yeah. out if you root for them or not. Like Chief Hine is a great example. I still don't like at the end of episode six. I don't know what the fuck that makes of this guy, Chief Hine. Like first off, he seems like kind of a jackass, like imperial officer, security officer, but then like he gets fired and his mom's giving him shit. It's like, maybe I root for the guy. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Right. It's not as easy as light versus dark. There's something I realized when you have a show where you go from perspective to perspective, follow lots of different people. And you have a book like that, that follows lots of different people. There's always like one that you kind of roll your eyes when it goes back to them. You're, you're tired. I don't want to go back to, you know, middle of the game of Thrones. Sure. Stop going to Daenerys slave cities. I'm really bored of that. I, I'm not looking forward to that for a while. There's not a single one that I'm bored of here. There's not a single one I don't want to go back to. Every time they cut to any of the sub people, I'm always interested. Every single one. I guess I have favorites, but I'd be hard pressed to come up with favorites, honestly. Um, cause I, I like all of them. Um, I, I, the first time I really noticed that aspect of people who are in disagreement, but I agreed with both of them. When, uh, which, you know, you've got the names in front of you and I don't, uh, when Taylor, his suit number two guard is talking to lazy big guard, num- head guard about what to do. I loved that they were both right. The one guy who was saying, no, like our coworkers are dead. This is the principle of the thing. You can't, we have to avenge them. We have to go forward. Sure. I get it. Like that makes sense. The other guy saying, look. They were where they weren't supposed to be in a place that shouldn't exist, doing stuff they weren't supposed to do, on and on and on. We need to just let this go and treat them and their families right and move on. And I was like, you're right. And I love that. They were the villains, and I still agreed with both of them. And that was amazing. And then that yeah. carried on with, um, again, I'm not going to know any names. Um, uh, I'll help you out as you go. Okay, just, okay. Just, just give me an idea of who you're talking about, and I can give you the name. The Amazing Empire Lady in the white suit. Yeah, Deidre Miro. And her boss. Who Major Partagas, uh, Partagas. Love both of them. And they, I, the best. I love, love when they cut to them. Um, I, like, literally, dude, literally they could do an entire episode that's just an ISB staff meeting. And I would be <laughs> locked the fuck in. You're, you're not <laughs> wrong. I, I, that would be fascinating. As long as, 
as long as the uh, her boss was there and did at least a third of the talking, I wouldn't mind. They, I could just follow him around. I, could I? Could I have like take your kid to work day with that guy? Antoine Lesson. He also played um, uh, Picel. Um, no, not Picel. Um, he played Cersei's Cersei's hand of the king. Um, no. Yes. Yeah, who is the hand of the king of Cersei? Um, uh, the, last Colbert. couple chapters. Say what? Kyburn, Kyburn. Yeah, Kyburn. Uh, he played Kyburn in Game of Thrones. Oh, you're. Yeah, you're right with the with the with the candy prunes and stuff for the kids and creepiness and oh wow okay well yeah, he's uh, that, that that the ISB stuff is so good but they, your point's a good one which is like the cast isn't that big there's not there's only like two or three different worlds sometimes I think they maybe get to like four eventually but it's not there's, there's just not like. You're not, there's not like nine different like continents you're dealing with. Like, you know, like in some of these prestige television, you just have so many different right. cutaways. There's like two to four, depending on your episode. Technically, cutaways, and they're all good. Yeah, I think, I think by episode six, there's technically four, and that's if you count the flashbacks. Four. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't, doesn't get much five, higher than that. Which, which is five if you count that weird little planet they started on. So, um, so, so I'm going to go into – talking about that first episode and the planet you start on with, where he kills the two guards. I'm going to tell uh, you the thing. Oh, tell me ahead. the thing. I want to know I'm going to tell you the thing unless you wanted to guess again. But uh, No, no. Tell me the thing. What, what is the thing that you most like about Andor? Architecture. Okay. Didn't see that coming. Didn't, you didn't see that coming. All right. So I love – Although I think I get it. Yeah. I love looking at the architecture in this show. Each planet is really distinct, and that often has happened through Star Wars. But here, they are distinct in ways that we either didn't see or didn't see much in other shows. When we started on that uh, – what, what was the planet we started on? I want to be able to say its name. Uh, Ferrix. Ferrix, thank you. When we started on Ferrix, my first thought was, this doesn't look like Star Wars at all. This looks like Blade Runner. This is some kind of sci-fi stuff. And then I thought to my brain – what are you doing? You just complained that Star Wars looked like a sci-fi show. What are you doing? What is wrong with you? And I realized, partially because of the most recent shows, if there's not sand on the ground, it's not Star Wars. Is What a tiny little part of my robot. Oh, boy. Uh, Spencer robot. would be so happy with this, the, the, the complaint that there's too much Tatooine. Well, I, I, I do think that. Um, but I do, too. I agree with him. But the thing is, you know, we, we have seen some things that are like Blade Runner, you know, in episode, what was it, two, whenever they're going down into Coruscant. But the look on Ferrix was just completely different. And we've seen a little bit of that here and there in some of the movies and everything, but not much. And I found that really interesting, the idea that because of um, the distinct things on that planet, they'd have different styles and different needs and everything. And, and I don't want to be unfair to the movies. The planets do have very distinct styles. Naboo architecture is a distinct style. It's based on some certain things on Earth. Uh, the, the thing that really made me notice it, because there I was noticing how it looked like Blade Runner, so how my brain thought of it. And I love that because there should be some of that. There should be some parts of this universe that are kind of like Fifth Element, because that's a future. And with a thousand worlds on a thousand planets, you're going to have one that's kind of like Fifth Element. You're going to have one that's kind of like Blade Runner. You're going to have one that's Tatooine. I thought about it even harder, though, and I really realized that's what I was watching in episode four when our uh, Taylor, his suits guy, went home to his mom. And I realized that the architecture looked like that some of the housing projects in London, England, brutalist, hmm. 
brutalist uh, concrete architecture. And I thought about it more because it was just very stark for me, a very specific type of brutalism, which I'm not an architecture buff. I I had to look up to see what brutalism was. I knew it when I saw it, but I didn't understand it. This idea, um, it's named after a guy. It's not meant that it's brutal, um, but it is kind of brutal because it's like concrete and utilitarian. And sloping stuck over the years, I think. Yeah, yeah. But straight lines. If you think about Washington, D.C. governmental buildings, they're yeah. all either like neo Greek classical or brutalist. Like the FBI headquarters is very brutalist. And a lot of those things that are concrete shapes and swoops and curves. And the Empire, I looked into this a little bit, always has had that. In all the movies, their architecture, when you're on a planet that's an Empire planet, it is that. It's, it's fairly utilitarian fairly unadorned um and it was just even more stark here when you were seeing their living quarters and and their living apartment neighborhoods under the empire and it makes sense that's the kind of thing the empire would like you know a bit more dystopian a bit more efficient a bit more all the same thing right um so i i really loved watching that um you know i i felt like you know, Andor and his mom and everything, that was, you know, a more industrialized Tatooine. I know it's not, but it kind of felt like that. It was still just the more rural, but there's tech. And that's fine. I don't mind that there's lots of planets like that. That makes a lot of sense, too, in this world. But having some that are higher tech and have just grown in different ways, that showed me almost more about the Empire, just what their architecture was like, as all the other stuff. One of the things when I, we were watching the first three movies, watching just the ships flying past in the background, just the Cars, the cars flying past in the background while the Jedi are fighting. People are still just living their lives and going to work and going to school and going on dates in the background. Um, actually getting to watch them and doing that and seeing where they live is really neat. And I look forward to that every time. So you're right in the vein of what I like the most about it, which is the that it is more they, like you, you've gone deeper into a particular element. But there is more world building than this than I've seen from any Star Wars anything other than maybe – some of the comics um, or books like, you know, when um, so former chief Hine, the, the guy who, who, you know, gets fired basically. Yep. Uh, he goes to live with his mother for a little while while he's looking for a job. And you see like the logistic apartment complexes that like just some normal ass person on Coruscant would live in. And like just the little stuff about how she prepares food or the, the how the door like the security system for the door and like just all this little crap that they've thrown in. Um, I shouldn't say crap because it's like it's really valuable stuff because I actually I always feel like Star Wars. You, you started right out with a really great point, which was that Star Wars is this massive, you know, obviously the universe, right? Mm-hmm. So much. There's all these planets, all this stuff going on. But it's a story about people and individual situations. But the people in individual situations that we so often get are the one percenters. They're the sort of like the the chosen ones, the elite. They have like access to, you know, the biggest government. We see like literally a fight on the Senate floor in episode three. Like yep. we're, we're the seeing, Senate of the galaxy. Yeah, we're seeing like the the elite of the elite. It's really cool to see like how do people like live. And one of the cool things is that through having through having having so many viewpoints of these sort of like normal people. And how they're interacting, living, et cetera, in this world, you also get to see, like, why some of these smaller planets just started to fucking hate the Empire. Like, you – and you get to see it from a, on a very human level, like, how 
they didn't really know what to expect. Like like in, in Ferrix, for example, they didn't really know what to expect when the Empire came in. They were a little – they wanted to be supportive, obviously. It's their government. But then over time, they, they, they're brutal and they're unfair and they're not, they're committing murder and not caring, and you just get to see the, the flow that creates all of the distrust and dislike of the empire, which builds completely into what the story is doing, which is talking about how you build a rebellion, which is how you start a rebellion against this like all-powerful, all-knowing entity. Well, you know, and this is one of the things that Luthen talks about, which is Luthen actually like is rooting, which I thought found so interesting. He's rooting for situations where the empire does the most horrific shit. He wants them to be spurred to horrible action because he wants all of this distrust and dislike that we're seeing on the on the ground to continue to sow. So it's just it I don't know, I find it I find that world building and the eyes of how does just like uh for instance um Bix, like the female love interest for Cassian in mm-hmm. the first couple episodes. She's just like a fucking shopkeeper. She just does like repairs. And you get to see her interaction with Imperial security officers, which is basically like, we don't give two fucks about you. Like, and you know, so often in this story, stormtroopers are portrayed as weak, right? They can't shoot anything. They get killed by the dozens by Jedi. Stormtroopers are not weak to Bix. When a stormtrooper comes around, it's a fucking problem, right? Like, and so it's just a shift in perspective, which I really enjoy. So you're, you're really focusing in on one particular aspect, but it's representative of what I love of the show, which Absolutely. is this like building out of the world. I don't know why it struck me so hard that one because I don't want to be unfair to the movies and everything else. You know, when they're on, you know, the clone planet, that architecture is different than anything else and shows their water planet, watery yeah. world, uh, you know, on, on Keshek. And I, I don't want to be unfair. They've done a good job throughout. Somehow it just struck me interestingly here. Um, maybe it's because I recognized a little bit more because I don't know you know, the, the influences on Naboo, but I know a little bit about the influences on, you know, the, the, uh, Ferrix and on the Coruscant, uh, concrete construction. It just struck me and, and I, I pay attention to it now in a way. I think I'm, it's I'm, really, yeah. I think it's a really great point and it makes perfect sense because like Naboo, the stuff that you're seeing in Naboo has been built over like literally thousands of years, mm-hmm. like the, the buildings, et cetera. Like you think of it as like the Vatican, right? Like the Vatican has been built over a really long period of time and a lot of care and money went into those buildings. That's why it looks so different than like the governmental buildings in Washington, D.C., which, you know, generally are built in, I don't know, six to eight months whenever they build one of those buildings. And, you know, we're the, the, the time jump between episode three and episode four when the Empire is in effect starting and when the Empire looks completely fleshed out and built out in episode four is only 19 years. So they, they want to put these buildings up as quick as possible. So the, the, that type of architecture makes sense with their purpose and their timeline. It, it's funny. Um, I, again, you know, talk, I'm, apparently when Spencer's not here, I talk about kids a lot. So my, my five-year-old who has been watching Lego Star Wars was asking – why do the X-Wings always want to fight TIE Fighters? And why are the, all the TIE Fighters the same, basically? And I started, I, I tried to figure out how to answer that to him um, from from what he knew. And I realized it, the idea of all, you know, there's there's li- no, more than literally just one type of TIE Fighter, but they don't have the variety. The idea of the Empire really is a, everybody should be the same and fall in line. They're authoritarian, they're fascist. They are, every follow what the one person says, whatever ship he thinks is the best one is one everybody should be using. And that the rebellion likes 
more variety and people, you know, following a leader or a Senate or something, but being a little bit more yourself. The idea that all the architecture on all of the empire bases would be about the same. And you can make any comparisons you want to any Earth organizations that do similar things if you want or not. Uh, but that the people who are on these planets over time and have built their own cultures have distinct things to offer. And they're different and they grow things in different ways. And it's it's just neat to me to see how how that would have happened. So I completely agree. Let's jump into the recap for episode one. Let's do that. I've talked too much um, about buildings. I don't. I don't think you've talked enough. To be honest with Ooh, you, you actually, right. peak, you've actually piqued my interest a lot. I'm going to be watching for it as we go, and that's like not said at any sort of irony. You really have. Okay. Good. Um, good. So episode one's called Casa, which I think is the um, nickname Cassian had. Uh, say what? It means house. It's oh, I, uh, yeah, but it's also I think the it means house in Spanish. I think it's the uh, the short name that the children have for Cassian in the flashbacks. Um, so five years – this starts the five years before the Battle of Yavin, so 14 years after the end of Episode 3. So everything that you're seeing from the Empire has been built in essence 14 years. I mean they piggybacked on a lot of the Republic stuff because they took ownership of a lot of that stuff. But anything <laughs> like new and Empire-ish has been built in 15 years or 14 years. Cassian travels to a planet called Morlana 1, which strong Tokyo vibes for me. To look mm -hmm. for a sister, and he's outside of a brothel. He's approached by two Primor Authority security officers. Primor Authority is basically like planet police you can think of. Um, but they all planet police have a reporting line into the Empire in this world because they're a military state. You know, everything is controlled by the Empire. Cassian flee. So he, um, he basically accidentally shoots one and then executes another. So he'll, he'll kill a motherfucker. That's what we learned about Cassian episode one. And he flees to Ferrix, which is apparently somewhere he's been before, knows pretty well, um, has lived for periods, connects with his friend Bix. Bix Colleen is the – are we are we comfortable, Jimmy, saying that's ex-girlfriend territory for Cassian? Seems oh, like absolutely. an ex-girlfriend. Absolutely. I mean they, they go into more detail after episode six. So I don't want to talk about it too much. But yes, ex-girlfriend. I, I felt like I knew that in episode one, though, like the way they were interacting. It seemed like a very ex-girlfriend-ish. Ex, it was very clearly from the outset either ex-girlfriend or like longtime friend crush something. But there was the, the longtime friends with some amount of romance in the background. Yes. Yeah, they they both seem to have a thing for each other, but they knew that they were not in any sort of romantic situation right now, right? Yes. Um, he aspects to so he's he's there not to rekindle any sort of romance with her. It's to find a a buyer for a Starpath unit that he is he's acquired. Can you tell us what a Starpath unit is? Because I've kind of picked it up from the show, but I've never heard of that before. Is that a thing? I thought it was like a piece of technology to go in, um, to go in ships, right? It, they make it sound like with this, you could track the Empire or something because it was sealed or something. I don't know. It, it's a MacGuffin of it's very useful for the rebels to have. Yeah. I mean, I know that there's a, I think it's kind of connected to that concept of, um, you know, pre-Empire technology and what that allows you to do. It doesn't have the same, uh, like, cause oh. you know, like, uh, that, that's talked about the Slave One, uh, yeah. or not Slave One, um, what the hell is, um, Mando's ship that gets blown up, spoiler alert, season two. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, Razor Crest. There you go, Razor Crest. Yeah, it's like pre-military, pre-Empire technology and therefore, you can't get tracked by military technology, empire technology. I think this is similar in the idea that it's it's pre-empire and it does whatever. No, actually, I, the the Starpath unit they show it has an empire seal on it. 
It's the thing that he stole from the Empire base. It's a very um, highly guarded piece of Empire tech. And somehow the fact that this is sealed and unused and intact and everything means that either you can use it to track the Empire or you can use it to make it look like you are the Empire or to hide from the Empire. Or something. So that, that, that's this. Yeah. Same idea, though. Like, is that, is that, that would help. Yeah, it's the same concept, which is that it's like tech that you're not supposed to have, basically. Yeah. Um, and that makes it super valuable. Bix agrees to help, but she's like, she's like, any time you like, like, you're ask, asking, asking an ex for help, it's always like super weird, and they show that, or she's like, doesn't want to help him, but she decides to. Um, she tries to hide her connection with Cassian from her boyfriend, Tim. It's Tim with two M's. Um, he seems like a real Brooks Brothers kind of guy. Tim so lame, they M'd him twice. And he becomes super suspicious. I'm not sure why Bix is hiding this from Tim. It seems like a bad move. But back on oh. Rolana 1, go ahead. I, the reason why is because Tim's kind of square. He, Tim doesn't know that she runs the Black Opsy stuff at all. He, 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 she, he doesn't know that she sells stuff to this guy. He's just kind of square. So she doesn't talk about any of that stuff with him. Sure, but yeah, sure. But my my point is that by trying to hide, yeah, I, you're right, you're 100 right. But, but my point is that trying to hide that she's even talking to him is only going to like it's not a thing easily hid, hidden, and it arouses suspicion from Tim. I feel like it would have been a lot better if she'd have just been like, "Hey, Tim, meet my friend Cassie, and we're doing blah 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 blah." I mean, yeah. would also been better if she just dumped the guy, but you know, that's, that's not here nor there. Ah, she's going. Look, she had her true love. Look, it's like every every fucking story everywhere. She had her true love with the bad guy Cassie, and now she's going for something safe. Um, so back on Morlana One, uh, Chief Hine. Uh, who is a character I really enjoy and an actor I like a lot, too. He's been in a lot of really good stuff. He says, cover up the murders to improve his report to the Imperial authorities. His deputy is determined to solve the case and identifies Cassian's ship and traces it to Ferrix. So there's the connection to Ferrix. He also learns that Cassian told someone at the brothel he's from Canari. Why? Because he's searching for a sister and that's the backstory, etc. Then we get a flashback of Cassian on Canari. Um, when his group or troop, which uh, decides to investigate a crashed ship. Now, I think if there's anything in this story, in my opinion, from the first six episodes they could have cut, it would be the flashbacks for Cass- to Cassian's youth. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. However, there's really cool world building because there's still like primitive worlds out there. Like, it, not every world is built out like Coruscant, right? Obviously not, but like built out like I don't know, let's say um, Alderaan. For instance, not every every planet is built out like that. So getting a little bit of world drill building of some society a little bit more primitive that Cassian's from and having that that context for him is kind of cool. I was just thinking, like, if somebody was, you know, telling me, like, you have to cut something from this, I would I would likely cut the flashback to his childhood. What about what do you think about all that? So. One thing that I thought is I think it was really smart that they dropped the four episodes at once because I'm glad we're talking about six because it's a good breaking point. But those four kind of told enough of the story. If they just showed episode one, I would have been kind of confused and bored, honestly, if it was just the one without anything else at once. Uh, and maybe that's part of it. You know, it just kind of dragged a little bit. With it being all four um, at once, I liked it and I liked the flashbacks a lot. I think it was three. No, it was four. Hmm, I'll look it up. Okay. I might be wrong. I don't know. Um, Whatever it was, it, it, it was enough to give you a taste and, and like actually understand what's going on. Um, I, I like the flashbacks. Um, you're right; they were kind of non sequiturs. Yeah, it's kinda... three. It was the, first, the, the three premiered on December twenty first, twenty twenty. All right, know it all. It all right, know it all. Okay, all right. Sam. You no, no, you win. It's your show. You should win. It's good. Um, you've 
I'm just I'm just saying. Um, I, I do agree. It kind of dragged a little bit. It kind of didn't add anything. I almost feel like they just placed them weird. It almost would have been better if just in, you know, maybe episode three, they put all the flashbacks at once or something instead of cutting back and forth kind of randomly. Um, but I, I, I did like showing, you know, they had some tech, these people, like they had what would a canteen and binoculars, like they, they had scout savage from the abandoned mining thing that was there. Well, the darts were, I would think that the darts were there, quote unquote, primitive technology, but they had a, a metal canteen that looked like it was an empire canteen or something. And that they were passing around at one point, or, or they they had some things that they had salvaged um, or or uh, uh, taken or something. I think this was a plan, and the empire came and they did mining and then left or something like that. That's my my assumption is that's why there's no adults. That all the adults were killed by the empire, and now this new generation is just the people who survived that culling from this tribe or area. Um, so so I liked that, and I thought it was really interesting how somebody who grew up without knowing what all the tech was even would interact with it, which, yeah, it's not really important for Star Wars to, to show somebody, you know, the, the idea of somebody seeing a television screen for the first time and freaking out. But it was really kind of just fun and neat and different. The idea of somebody who's never seen a mirror before in their life and didn't know mirrors could exist, seeing one. It was neat. I liked it. It was fine. Did I mention it was only the first three that got released at the first time? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually, one of us is having a stroke, and I don't know which one, man. <laughs> I actually wanted – I one of the reasons I brought that up, though, is that, that like the first three is almost like the, the Ferrix, and then it jumps to the next three is the Aldani um, yeah. uh, plot line. So I think they were pretty strategic in how they did that. I, so I think you're right about everything you said, obviously, because – this is yet another example of these sort of stripped planets because, like, obviously they have, like, such a need for bulk raw materials in this in this galaxy that, like, there's so many planets that just get completely stripped bare, and this is one of them. And so, like, I don't know. It feels like what they're doing is, like, at every step of Cassian's life, they're building the case for why he would he would join the Rebel Alliance. Mm-hmm. Like every step, he's like seen the evil and the prop, but in different ways of the empire, which is a really cool like exploration into how one person gets quote radicalized. It is radicalized in the society. We think of it as normal because we root for the republic and the rebellion, et cetera. But like right now, the empire is the ruling thing, and the rebellion is the radical group. And how is how does he get radicalized? Well, it's all these different steps in his life where he sees the the brutality and the the issues with the empire. That that is interesting. You know, we in the main movies, maybe because we like it being a little bit easier to know who the heroes are. The radicalization is: Don't you want to fight the empire? Yes, I do. The end, and that's about it. And it's just taking this common sense. Right. It's if you ever find somebody who's not against the empire, the question is: What's wrong with that person? And that's even in some of the TV shows. You know, you have the one guy who likes the empire in Obi Wan, and you know, it was kind of. It was really interesting that they had that, but it was really like, look at this jag off kind of thing. Like the idea that at least earlier in the Empire, you know, they they roll their eyes at the Empire because it's really just the new part of the Republic. You know, it, it's just the government. The government changed its name a thousand planets away. Roll your eyes and keep keep moving. It, and then over time, you see how they're harsher and meaner and worse and not the same government you used to know. And, you know. Would these people have been separatists from the Republic or would they have been uh, terrorists against the 
properly elected Senate? Probably not. And they probably had to find a way to think there is still a Senate. There's still a Senate, even if it's not called a republic, until episode four happens. So these people are not rebelling only against the emperor and the Sith. They're rebelling against the Senate. They're rebelling against their elected officials, sort of. Um, And so you're right. It would take more to decide that that's worth doing. You don't just decide, I don't like my government. I'm going to go blow stuff up. That's not a normal thing for people to just decide is always a good idea. Um, we, we can talk kind of more about that. I, I, I think it's really interesting, um, you know, spoiler, 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 in episode seven and eight, they kind of get into this a little bit more. Um, you know, we can, for sure. we can do another episode later and talk about that, so I don't want to get yeah, too Yeah, we will. Yeah, but, but, but you're right. It, it's interesting, like, what they tend to focus on in Andor almost in a weird way shines a light on some of the problems with the movies, right? Like, I, of course I love the movies. That's why I'm here. But you you raise a good point, which is that, like, we always just, and I did, assume, like, oh, of course people would want to join the Rebel Alliance. But it's like, would you? Like, the whole fucking apparatus, the governing apparatus of the universe is the Empire. Why would you choose a life that right. – doesn't allow you to participate in the economy, that makes you a hunted person, shortens your anticipated lifespan, prevents your ability to have a family. Like, why would you do all of this shit? Well, Andor is building that case. Well, and and so in the movies, the reason to not be the rebels is kind of self-preservation. You know, yeah, you, you, you won't be you won't be on the run. You won't be able to have a home. You won't be able to live. Your family might die, which all kind of makes sense. You can understand why somebody would you know, acquiesce to the empire and be too afraid to join the rebel rebel alliance. But if you take a step further back, it's really a lot of very reasonable people who have an average amount of understanding would still just say, no, the rebels are terrorists. They're blowing stuff up and killing people for no reason. You know, I, the empire's too harsh. We should make some changes to it maybe, but you know, I'm not going to go and, you know, try to overthrow the government. That's not a, a thing people normal died people on the Death do. Star. A lot of people died on the Death Star. And, you know, yeah, like, was... a lot of people, new people who died on the Death Star. Like, so you, you start to you span out. Like, on yeah. all of these planets, you have people who whose sons joined the, the military, basically, like joining the army and got stationed on the Death Star and got blown up. And they're wondering, who the fuck are these rebels that just killed my kid? So I, I, I don't want to get off topic too far, but I just started watching uh, The Expanse. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But they, Love it, The Expanse. It, it, it's very good. I'm just in season two. Don't tell me anything. But, um, you know, the, there's a ship that blows up, and it's kind of like a mystery over who blew it up. But it's called The Cant. The, uh, and it becomes a rallying cry. The Emanuel. What's that? The Emanuel Cant. That's what I joke about. Oh, yeah. Um, but it becomes a rallying cry of Remember the Cant, like of people who don't actually know who blew it up but think that they do. Just realizing, you know, this crew of people who are like us got blown up. I'm now imagining, like, throughout the entire galaxy, people remember the Death Star. Or remember that maybe they come up with a nicer name for it. Remember the Peace Sphere or something. And that's why that's why folks like Princess Leia were so important, because they could be PR. They were already had sympathies throughout the galaxy because of their position, their history. And by having them be the face of the rebellion, it, it blunted some of that from a PR perspective. So all of that, all of that in like deep into the politics and the world building of like how this rebellion wow. actually occurred. Fascinating to me. I didn't really think about that as like what would actually make you radicalize and at the end, then they're, you know, and they've done it. I mean, I, I feel kind of dumb that I wasn't thinking about that because you're right. It's, it's right there. It's a big part of what this show is. So the uni- this, this is what you need to talk about. Yeah. You found your very own architecture today, sir. 
Yes, how you how you become radicalized to support the Rebel Alliance. Yes, episode two, titled "That Would Be Me." Tim, two M's, is still suspicious. I said suspicious slash jealous of Cassian's relationship with Bix, and yes. he reports Cassian to uh, the security, who issues a warrant for his arrest. Uh, Karn, who is um, another Primor officer, partners with Mosk to arrest Cassian. So they're now running. I do around love that guy. Cassian. I love that guy a lot. Uh, I love so I love that guy. He's a good character. Not I also really love B two emo. Um, the, yes. Yeah. The, the the house droid who is basically like a member of the family. I I feel like I feel like they've been a little hit and miss on one on understanding what people really loved about R two D two, and making variants on R two D two that people will still love. But I, I it's a variant. It talks. But oh my gosh, I love B so much. B might be my favorite character in the whole so, thing. I just I'm always happy when B's on stage. I think my favorite line in the whole thing, and it's gonna stick with me forever, is him saying, I know it's hard for you to lie, and it used up a lot of energy, but I need you to lie for me. He's like, I've got energy reserves. I can make a lie for you. Okay, do this and this. Long pause. That's two lies. I need more energy. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure why it was the delivery was perfect. It just says so much about this little robot who wants to do more than it can and loves its person and has very limited capabilities. And I also like the idea of lying would be hard for a machine. You know, the whole you tell a machine a paradox and its head blows up. Um, lying kind of is a paradox where it's having to hold two different truths in its head at the same time. And that's not the way machines, I think, well, apparently not the way this machine naturally works. It takes extra energy to hold two different truths in its head at the same time and make lies. So it needed extra energy reserves to tell two lies at the same time and have three truths in its head. Agreed. Uh, That was a cool cool scene with B. I so you, you mentioned that they, you felt like they maybe were like, missing what we liked about R2-D2 or they, they had different ideas of it. Um, I, I, I'd like to say my just my, my thoughts on it, like right, just yeah. my opinion, mm-hmm. is that what I liked about R2-D2 was his was, – was, as I'm gendering R2-D2 – was the robot's um, dedication to Luke, mm-hmm. ability to sort of override, I think, some of its programming – um, by not having its memory wiped regularly, like it was able to grow almost and learn almost like a piece of AI. And it became, it's sassy. Yeah, it became sort of like human in its approach. It had desires. It had things it root for. The whole cute thing, it being cute and beeping, that is so secondary to me that when they focus on a droid being cute and funny, that's fine for some people. But for me, like what I liked about R2-D2 was his role in the story, its role in the story, and be absolutely does that because the very yeah. next thing in my in my recap is that B informs Cassina Marva of the warrant right so uh, like basically just a G just like scouring the reports like looking out oh hey Cassian I got a piece of information for you this can be helpful and helps along the way many times during episode 3, 4, and 5 mm-hmm. so that's what I liked about uh, yeah I, I mean I, I, do, I like BB-8 but I like B a lot more than BB-8 yeah same so. same uh, Cassian prepares to flee the planet uh, Bix Buyer travels to Ferrix to obtain the Starpath unit. This is Luthen, and Luthen, just so everybody knows, is my favorite character of the show. Um, in a flashback, Ka- Kasa, which is his name in the flashbacks, 
and his cohorts locate B and, ba- and, and investigate the crashed ship. So they, that's when they got the blow darts and they're, they're mm-hmm. going to the, the ship. One of their tribe is killed by a crew member of the downed ship, and the tribe kills the attacker, quickly leaving the crash site. Cassa stays behind to check out the ship, and this is when he sees the screen for the first time and sort of like marvels at the technology, which is something you talked about before, a scene where it's very interesting to see this person who grew up basically completely non-developed, you know, seeing this piece of witchcraft technology that had to sort of shock him to see. And that's the yep. end of episode two. That would be me. Anything on episode two? Nah, I think we had it all. Cool. Episode three, Reckoning. Luthen, Bix's buyer, arrives on Ferrix and meets Cassian in an abandoned factory. I love this scene, and I love the dialogue between Cassian and Luthen. Like, I, I anticipate we're going to get hopefully more of that in the remainder of this season and the next season. Spoiler alert, it's only going to be two seasons, and then it flows into Rogue One. Um, because the two of them on stage. That's going to have to have an end date, I guess. They can't just keep rolling. It's yet. only going to be two. Two, two 12 episode seasons. That's all it okay. is. Um, they've already kind of storyboarded it out. The more I can get these two on stage together, the more I'm going to be happy. So so I liked it. Maybe you can explain something to me, though, because there's one thing that I kind of hated about it. I liked almost everything. I liked the exchange. I liked what he had to say. I liked the responses. All seemed really natural. Why does he want Andor so much? Why has he researched Andor so much? Because it seems like he needs somebody who speaks a couple languages and is a pilot. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the galaxy who fit that, who fit that and, and don't have as much of a hassle to get. Do we know? Uh, did I miss something? Or is that just not yet known why he cares about this guy so much for some reason? We don't know. All right. That, that's frustrating me because I get that he needed a new guy. You know, we're getting to episode four or five, whatever now. He needed a guy with a few skills that are not always in the same person. So, okay, fine. It, it's, it's a very useful guy. He wants this guy. Great. I get that. But he's done real homework on this one specific guy. And I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why. I don't. I don't know think we're supposed to. I don't think we're supposed to. Like, uh, we, like Luthen, Luthen is a, a Luthen is one of these like he's deep in the game, and we're just catching him now. And yeah. I think that we're going to have to learn a lot about how did he get hooked up with the rebellion? Um, how did he, you know, has this front of this jewelry store or antique store? Um, why does he like Cassian? How did he meet his assistant? How did he get hooked up with Mon Mothma? All this shit. Like, it's probably right for a novel. But why does he cut his hair that way? Does he get <laughs> manicures? Like, these are important questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the wig, right? Doesn't he have a wig? Maybe? I think um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we can learn about the wig. Yeah, all that stuff I think is kind of right for a novel, but I think we're going to learn. But moral of all that diatribe is that we don't know, but I, I don't think it's something that they're going to yada yada. I don't, I think we're going to learn why I, I hope he, so. why he learns, because, so. because he has like conversations with his, um, when he's starting to question, you know, bringing Andor into the Alwani, um, heist, he has conversations with his, his assistant, like, ah, I shouldn't have pushed for him. I shouldn't have put him on this thing right away. So they're continuing to talk about Cassian's involvement. So I hope that mm-hmm. some of it gets flushed out, possibly through that interaction. Um, they confront Marva, uh, the security officers. But Marva, certified G all the time, does not cooperate, does not snitch. She might be the most, she might be the most like steel-spined rebel person we see in the whole fucking series. Marva is ready to roll against the Empire at any point. She's 70, and she's confined to a chair, but she'll still fucking fight any way she can. Like, shout out to Marva. Yep. Um, during this, Karn intercepts a message from Cassian to Marva via B. Ah, B, damn it. If you could only silent 
You can only silent your messaging. Um, One thing I do like about B, though, is that, like, it's clear that that's not, like, a high-end droid. Like, he has severe limitations that you see all the time because it's not a super expensive droid. Um, I I have wondered how expensive droids are in this world. I was just, you know, I was watching episode four, and, you know, these farmers who are water farmers are just like, yeah, we'll buy those two uh, without inspecting them all that closely. How expensive are droids? They should be expensive, right? Like, not everybody should have their own droid. feel like I'm talking uh, – you're, you're slipped right into my co-host position with Spencer. Spencer, it's so funny. Like, um, you probably – like, so in so many of the shows that we've reviewed, he's tried to break down, like, the economy. Like, how much do people make in the little – in the world yeah. and how much – like, <laughs> it's always, like, this good, just complete shot in the dark. And then he'll get super irritated when he doesn't have enough information to, like, fill it out, like – I don't know. Like, it doesn't doesn't make sense that this would Look, cost it, that. that. If you this. haven't tried to figure out what the economic system of the My Little Ponies universe is, are you really a lawyer? That that's there. You go. That's the connection. Is you're you're both lawyers and you're both um you're both you're both like researching at the edges. Um, Cassie anyway. tries to sell the Star Path. Uh, to Luthen. So Cass, Cassian is there to sell the fucking Star Path and get the fuck out of the plane. Like that's his plan. And Luthen's like, anyway, you want to grab a cup of coffee and chat? And he's like, what the fuck? What is your problem? And he's like, ah, let me tell you about this little thing called Rebellion. I got a job for you. Let's do this thing. And it takes Cassian a while to catch up to the conversation. He seems confused as your two hosts on this podcast are as to why Luthen wants Cassian to begin with. And during the course of this, the Imperial officers – not Imperial. They're, they're really just like local police – catch up with Cassian, and a firefight ensues. And during the firefight, some pretty cool shit happens with all of the old shit left over from the factory. Some cool visuals of all that stuff flying around, which I just appreciated, as yeah. opposed to just a standard firefight. Uh, more all this entire – you know, the, the whole 12-episode show is really just to teach you the lesson of keep the valuable thing in arm's reach like at all times. It's a great idea. We should maybe do that. Don't walk away from the thing that's worth more than your entire life savings. <laughs> for sure. That's a, that's a great lesson. Hey, um, question for you. Does Bix, the girl that Cassian used to date, the woman that Cassian used to date, does she find out that Tim informed on Cassian via Brasso? Isn't Brasso the one that tells her? Brasso is like kind, of, kind of the big guy who's Cassian's friend. Who's covering for him? Who makes up the whole story about that they were drinking the night before, and that's where Cassian was, and the whole thing? Um, sort of. Isn't it Brasso so, who tells Bix that? So, yes, uh, sort of. Um, I forgot that my, part. My my recollection, and I apologize to all viewers. The fact that I didn't rewatch this specifically like yesterday just to know of this is that he mentioned to her like, "Who did you tell? Did you tell Tim? Does Tim know?" Maybe, maybe Tim was, maybe Tim knew, maybe Tim told. And then I think she talks to Tim and Tim's like super suspicious or something. Yeah, right? I think, yeah, he, he, he's kind of like a impetus for her to suspect yeah. Tim. And anyway, she, she ends up figuring out it's Tim, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think Tim confesses or is super, she figures it out and confronts him and then finds out. So Tim kind of tells her, but Brasso's the one that tips her off to the idea that it might be. Yep, for sure. Um, so, She's clearly pissed um, and rushes off to try to help Cassian. Well, when she mm-hmm. rushes off, she's stopped by security. And when she's stopped by security, Tim, who seems just overly emotional, I think fraught with guilt for 
having informed on Cassian and then now seeing the reaction that this has put Bix in kind of over the top tries to intervene in the security people dealing with Bix and get shot and killed for it. The yep. officer who fired the shot is in trouble. I like that part. I love mm-hmm. that part that not everybody is a stormtrooper and can kill without any fucking regard, right? These yep. local police, there is some still accountability and that they can't just go around killing citizens, right? And so that person gets shipped the fuck out of there right away, which I mm-hmm. find, I, I love that little detail. Like, yeah, this yep. is, this is my architecture. I'm going to keep going back to that. This is my architecture. The little points in it where I'm like, this is why I like this show. The, the bureaucracy of the law and order the, here, like wh- where, which stormtroopers can just say, hey, you looked at me funny, you're going to jail forever, and which ones are like, oh, no, I didn't fill out Form 7 and I fired my gun, and now I need to go to talk to human resources for a while about how I discharged a weapon in the line of duty. Look, poli and public administration, fucking – like yeah, like do, like I I love government. Uh, that's what I that's what I've studied and done my whole life. So yes, absolutely, I do enjoy that. And and like, how easy would it have been for them to just have that security guard kill Tim and then move right on, right? But they didn't. They said no. Hold on. Like the level that that security guard is at, which is not an imperial officer, it's local security, and not even high up at that, would not have the authority to just kill on spot. And therefore, there's some consequences to that action. And they build that into the story. Shout out to them for doing that. Um, Luthen and Cassian escape Ferrix while uh, Karn and Mosk ha- ask for help evacuating because basically all hell breaks loose for them. And the my guy, the the um, the head of the security, Chief Hine, he kind of freaks out and they get evacuated. And then in the flashback, uh, one second, Marvin and her husband Clem scavenge the crash ship on on. Um, on Canari and find Cassian, Marva decides to keep him and takes him, and that's kind of the backstory as to how Marva got hooked up with Cassian. What was that tap 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 thing? It was like some kind of warning they were all knocking, but and they were making it really impressive, and it was very unnerving. And they're talking about oh, when the noise stops is when shit's going to go down, and then the noise stops, and didn't like nothing happen. That we saw. I mean, I, they didn't. They didn't show us what happened. But I it, mean, I felt like it was a pretty impressive display from the locals there. It was super impressive, but it didn't seem to have any payoff whatsoever. It seemed like nothing happened except that they kind of spread the word of everybody. Hey, go hide. And that's a lot of, like you know, Chekhov's gun of something. See, I didn't need that payoff because I. What mattered to me is that they were all willing to work together. To do what? Well, well, to to. I mean, to, to save the locals, to push back on the security guards, to do, I mean, all, you know. They did, but they didn't do anything. They all just closed up shop. It, it was just a, a that, That's something. That's collective shop. action. That That's something. Twelve. I mean, there were 12 guards. Just, if you see a guard, close your shop. It would have been almost the same thing. Like, it was, it was like a citywide walls of Jericho, scary noises, silence all at once somehow, that they all knew when to stop all at once. And then... Certainly see your point, but for me, the, for me, the importance was that there's a level of connection at the local level that people can, that, that exists, that can be tapped into, that pushes back on the security, the empire, et cetera. And we just saw like a, a brief, like representation of that. To, to, to quote a line from the good place, it's like the base never dropped, man. Like they built the base up. They built, the, they built it up, they built it up, they built it up, and then the phone just ended, and they, they never dropped the base. Yeah, so I, I get what you're saying. It didn't, didn't strike me that way, but I, get, I do get what you're saying. Um, 
I, I really, I really wanted all of a sudden all of them to like pop out of the woodworks armed to the teeth or something or an explosion or I, I guess maybe the one thing was everybody do what you can kind of thing. And the only thing was that Brasso, you know, chained their ship up, which was really cool. That was, really yeah, cool. he fucked them up. They ended up, uh, yeah, that's they, an anchor they, to your spaceship. Your spaceship now explodes. Adios. Thank I, you, Brasso. Brasso is a G by the way. Brasso is a super helpful guy. He's coming up with lies to help Cassian. He's, he's fucking sabotaging security officer ships. Brasso is, I need a, I need a little quick comic book series on Brasso. Um, episode four, Aldani. Luthen takes Cassian to Aldani, asks him to join a mission there. Look, Jamie, he's only going to be backup. He's not even going to be needed. So there's no chance that Cassian's going to be a real part of this. He's just going to be backup. We all bought that, right? We all believe that the whole time. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I always go out of my way to learn the full backstory of somebody on a planet who doesn't want to help me so I can convince him and pay him large amounts of money to not do anything. To be a backup. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> Cassian agrees because of all of the money and said jewel that Homeboy passes over. And Luthen Luth asks him to use a pseudonym, uh, a pseudonym while dealing with the rebels, which is interesting. Shows to me he does not really trust the rebels on the ground, obviously. Um he does not trust uh, – what is her name? Vel and the others. So he asks him to use a pseudonym, and he uses Clem, which is the, his adopted father's name. James, do you have something? So two things. One, one with the name, I, uh, and they kind of pay this off later. I love the idea that Lucian is really smart about siloing with, with something like a rebellion where you know people are going to get caught. People are going to get picked up. People are going to talk. And so the only way to protect is if the fewest people know the fewest other people and you just break connections as much as possible. Because if you have a tiny connection and find the next one, you can find the next one, find the next one. You know, Knowing what planet uh, Andor was from originally is how they eventually found him on the one planet because he had asked about his sister. Um, so them, if they knew his name, his full name, uh, the other rest of the crew, then the rest of the crew could, if they talked, help the Empire find Andor and find his mom and everything. And then they would find Bix. And then Bix would show them the the speaker. And then they would find Lucian. And then, you know, you got to just make as many stop gaps as possible and as many fail safes as possible. So I, I like that. It was just smart. I, I don't even think it was necessarily not trusting these people, but just you are going to fail if you're completely interconnected and everybody can snitch on everybody. So that's... That- yeah, great point. I do think he also still distrusts Fel, though. Like, that comes out in the conversation with her. Well, but, I'm not but sure that, he's really super locked in with her. He bullies her around about this thing. And, like, she's so out of the loop of everything that's going on. He, she really is, like, tool for Lucian to, like, to accomplish this thing. I I, I think she I, – I don't know. I just the, the impression I got when he was talking with her that he didn't he, – he, he didn't fully read her in. She didn't even know of. who the fuck he was. Kind of, but she's the only one who knows who he is in the, in her crew. Well, she's seen him, but she doesn't really know who he is. She knows his name. She can find his assistant. She can talk to him. She knows she goes to Coruscant for him. Yeah, that, I don't, that might be I after don't, episode six. I don't remember the timeline. But. Yeah, that's that's definitely episode eight. I think. Sorry, uh, but it, sorry. Yeah. But um, it, yeah, I don't know. I, that's just the impression I got when him talking to her. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't give him give her the background of why he wants Cassian. He just tells her you have to do this. And pushes her into it. it didn't seem to me like a trustful partnership. So there's one other thing, a, a, a tiny little aside, um, and this was not something 
if you're the one who told me this, then you take over and talk about it. Because I can't remember where I first heard it. It might have just been like I found it online. The crystal he talks about is the first acknowledgement in one of the TV shows of a part of the history from the Knights of the Old Republic video game. You know, when they talk about what this crystal is commemorating. That was Spencer. Uh, I, don't, I, Spencer haven't seen, I, haven't gone, I haven't gone through that game. He has, though. He okay. loves it. Um, it might have been that I just read online. But so it, it's a relatively minor plot point, uh, and I, 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 I won't go into it. But it's, it's some really, really old, like, pr- you know, pre-Republic empire of beings. And there was a big rebellion against them. And it, it's, it's not actually all that important, except just that – any reference to Nice of the Old Republic is a great thing. And I, 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 I have not downloaded it because I spent too much time on it. But you can get Nice of the Old Republic on your iPhone these days, kiddos. So, you know. Go, I have go, it on go, my go, Nintendo go. Switch, but I get um, those those uh, first-person games uh, get me motion sick. So I have to play it in 10-minute increments. So it's been very difficult for me to work through it, um, getting motion sick. I mean, it's, it's a third person. It still gets me sick. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yeah, that, it's the, I think it's the up-down left right movements that you're constantly doing where the camera's kind of rolling. Oh. I'm doing a visual for a podcast. It doesn't help anybody, but it, it does. It, regardless, it gets me sick, but I've been playing in 10 minute increments is really good. But I, 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 I do think I absolutely think they're probably connecting it to the story of the Knights of the Old Republic through that, through that, um, through that jewel. I think that's very, a very fair thing to point out. Um, okay. So let's keep going. Uh, Cassian, then Vel, the group's leader, introduces Cassian to the rest of the gang who are suspicious. They explain they plan to steal an entire Imperial payroll from a big Imperial supply hub, taking advantage of a rare natural phenomenon on the planet called the Eye, which Imperials won't be paying great attention to their post while they're watching the fireworks, basically, in the sky. On Coruscant, we see Luthen, Luthen, or Lucian, is Lucian or Luthen? You're the one with it all written down. I don't know. One of the two. L dog. Some of my fucking favorite scenes is him in this antique shop pretending to be this character. It fucking rules. I absolutely adore it. Um, so he meets with Mon Mothma. Shout out Mon Mothma. We get Mon Mothma here. This is so cool. Um, so Tell us more about her. So Mon Mothma is. Uh, we pick her up in episode four, and she is. In essence, like one of the highest generals in the entire rebellion and serves as almost like who would be the de facto leader if they were to take over the rebel, the, you know, take over the galaxy again, not in an like in the way that the empire emperor is in control, but like in the in a way an elected president is or something like that. Um, very high up in the rebellion and had been. Uh, we learned this in Legends canon, but then also some of the reintroduced new canon that she had been a senator since a very young age. I think I think we actually get in the show during a side conversation. She says she started being senator at like 16 or something like that. But she's been on Coruscant, a politician, basically her entire adult life. And she wildly distrustful of the emperor and is one of the early adopters of the rebellion and insiders to help them. Shout out my mouth. That's one of my favorite like little side stories that we get in this whole thing is – getting shots of her like trying to navigate this world where like something as simple as moving money out of her family's account to a different account is super difficult because of just how controlling the empire is over everything. And because of that little detail, you get a sense of just how difficult what she's trying to accomplish. Well, is. It's not just trying to withdraw money. It's that she's trying to funnel her money into terrorism. Well, she actually says at one point, 
that she can't get money out of the account. Like it's not just where she's putting it. She can't eat the, the account's actually frozen. She's she's talking about it in terms of to give to him. Like she, she she's not explicit about whether she could get it out to build a veranda on her house. Like it might it might just be I can't get it to you. That's, that's the, not what I mean. I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot on this podcast, but what what I heard from her was that like she's talking to the guy and saying times are changing. I I now can't even get into this account. That's the problem I'm having. Like that's how controlled everything is and how like uh lack of autonomy people have over things like their own personal finances, um which is, you know, problematic. In this I, I I'm so glad you said that cuz I I kind of recognized the name and she looked familiar. Now you said that I know who it is. I had actually not realized that that was the person from episode 4 at all. So that's 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 actually the angelic all white figure Mon Oh Mon yeah, no, no. Yeah, I I, I, yeah, I remember it's awesome. now. If you had asked me before and or what the name of that character in episode four was, I would have not known it. So that's why this it didn't connect. But yeah, clearly so it is. So thank you. They, Mon Mothma and uh, Luthen obviously are working together and have been for some time. And they discuss in their shop uh, through the guise of she's trying to buy a gift for her husband, which, who, by the way, she does not fucking like her husband. And I don't either. Um, they, they, they try to discuss the challenges to keeping their opposition to the Empire hidden. Uh, Karn goes live with his, um, uh, goes to live with his mother after being fired as Primor security. And then we get some really cool scenes of Deidre Mero seeking access and authority over the Ferrex incident with the ISB council, um, with, uh, Master Quiburn and all of his colleagues and supervisors. And I, as, as mentioned before, any scene that we get of Mira, uh, Miro and the officer, let me use his real name, not Kyburn. Um, Major Partagas, uh, anything, anytime we get them together in a room during these staff meetings, I, I just find those scenes extremely well written acting. And, and I love the, the insight into how, you know, like it's an organization like any other, right? Like he's trying to, yeah, he, he has absolute control over this council, but he's also trying to manage his people and he's trying to teach her. And, you know, it's not all super heavy handed. Like he's a he's a manager of her, mm-hmm. and he's trying to he's trying to train her and, and get her to be better in her job, yeah. uh, which is like some humanity to the empire. I don't think we always get. Well, and his management style is very, um, you know, uh, I'll undermine the people beneath me and I'll trick them and make them feel bad. But it it does still seem to be trying to develop them and not just make them cutthroat against each other. Try to get the job done and do listen and come up with the right answer. And, you know, it's not a very warm and fuzzy place, but it is still a collaborative place. So I have a question for you. I have answers for every question. Why the fuck is the this imperial payroll in hard currency? Why are they why aren't they paying in like electronic funds? Like, why don't they have like bank accounts and shit? Like everybody's getting paid in like coin like this is the Revolutionary War. Like what? So I, I, I have an answer for you. The answer is that I don't know. It, it seems strange that like they have that their their tech their technology is so right. super advanced, but they don't have electronic tra- funds transfer. They don't have EFT. Everybody's got to get paid in coin, hard coin. So I, I kind of thought the same thing. I was expecting it to be like a hard drive with all the codes to access, like that to keep such a large amount of money secure. It wasn't just a code, but it was like a a, a fob or something. You needed a physical fob to go with a code to be able to withdraw the funds. And I, that's what I was expecting them to do, was to get a hard drive 
that would. Be but it wasn't. Necessary. It was like a fucking western where they were yeah, taking the coins. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what are those coins made of? Do, are, are they made of a valuable material? I don't know. I would so, assume no, so. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the only the only thing I can think of is. If it's payroll, it's going to people in systems where maybe not every system has good ATMs. Yeah, I mean that's the only thing I could think of. Is so it's, that, it's almost like giving them stuff to barter because you're going to be places everything, where everything is so decentralized that like mm-hmm. if you had money in a bank account, you wouldn't necessarily like you know some outer rim planet wouldn't necessarily have like a machine that could pull from that bank account because that bank account is in a completely decentralized galaxy system, like away or not galaxy, but like system way away. So right. basically everything doesn't talk to each other. So if you're going to actually travel, you know, in, through hyperspace between all these planet systems that you actually have to have like money in your hand. And, and we have That's the only thing I can think of. Well, and we have seen, um, yeah, and part of this is, you know, the, the mix of high tech and low tech that we see because we're on outer rim planets a lot of the time. We see people using coins and money uh, paying, you know, in, in Moss Eisley, they, they pay for their drinks and for the damages and for the mess and noise with coins. And, you know, when they they have imperial credits on or republic credits on Naboo, things like that, um, maybe – you, we should think of it not like our technology today as far as money transfers and how we do payroll. Maybe we should think of it more as, for whatever reason, you know, like 200 years ago, where there were banks, there were, especially for the rich people, you'd have a piece of paper that counted as all this money. You could send money from one bank to another, but it was not a thing that ordinary people did. Ordinary people had coins, or if you were really rich, you'd have dollar bills. Maybe that's it, that just that's just not how they do things here except for fancy people. Um, or maybe it's so that it can't be hacked because, you know, maybe that's how they, I, I can imagine them hundreds of years ago having quantum computers become a thing and all of a sudden their encryptions aren't as reliable. And so if you're going to do big amounts of money, having it be attached to Analog the, is the best. right. That, that if, if you're a large amount of money, is attached to the internet, it is now worth it to dedicate the resources to steal. And that, you know, the idea of anything worth stealing is stealable if it's worth enough. And you can do it if it's worth enough and it's digital. You can crack anything if you put enough money. Because I always thought that, like, the reason that we were seeing, like, hard credits on screen was because we were dealing with, like, bounty hunters and, like, people outside the law. But, like, if you are working an imperial outpost, like, and you're getting just pay, just money payroll from the empire – that that it would seem to me that that would be a time for electronic transfer and electronic bank accounts. But if but if the entire you know if everything's super decentralized or if they're dealing with security concerns and hacking, um, I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe or, most or, people just want it want it in hard currency um, for any number of reasons. I mean, maybe I answered my own question to begin with, which was that you know even even Mon Mothma trying to get money out of her family bank account was difficult. So maybe people just don't like to deal with banks. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I found that an interesting part because uh, they do end up having to just like take like t- literally tons of coins out of this fucking vault, which is sort yeah. of strange. Um, episode five, the axe forgets on Aldani. Clem hides his past from the other rebels, particularly Skeen. I got to tell you, wasn't super interested in the other rebels. 
that, no. that was part that uh, that was one part that was a little weaker than some of the others to me. Yeah, they, it was fine. Um, uh, you, you and I talked about this once, where even the 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 episodes or the parts of Andor that are weak and underwhelming are still fine. Like oh yes, yeah, the, the, the worst it gets is fine. Like they, they each had characters, they each were kind of interesting, they each had some personalities. I had at least thoughts about all of them, but you're right. I didn't really care about any of them very much. Him and the number one boss were um, the only ones with enough development for me to have uh, real opinions about. So the rest. While traveling to the high spot, Cassian reveals he's getting paid, which causes problems for Vel. Would you have done that? Would you have done that move that Cassian does right before the heist? Just say, hey, guys, look, fuck, I'm tired of looking over my shoulder. Like, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm getting paid here. That's why I'm here. Would you have done that? I think so. And I think for the same reasons that he did of this guy tried to just kill me, like tensions are getting worse. And yeah, the the truth is six out of 10 bad, but because they know there's a secret and they don't know what it is, they're going to assume it's 10 out of 10 bad and somebody's going to kill me or at least be distracted. You know, acknowledging the six out of 10 bad is better than everyone guessing at a different 10 out of 10 bad and killing me. So I, I think so, and I think that's the point when I would. Uh, um, because doing it when the knife's not to his neck and not waiting until the next time that happens gets him a lot of credit for coming clean on his own, even if he's really doing it so that he doesn't get a knife on his neck the next night. So I think I think he's being proactive and smart and reading the room correctly. I would have too. I think it was the right move. It was a you know, tough, gutsy situation, but I think it was the only thing to do in that. I was surprised that they got so mad about it, though. Like, I get that they're rebels and they're not getting paid, and there's a lot of unfairness going on with that. But and I didn't take it that they were mad they weren't getting paid. I thought they were mad that they felt like this guy wasn't a true believer. Well, I, I, so if they – the only reason I can imagine them not getting mad is if they're upset that, you know, it's not fair, he's getting paid or not, which maybe – they didn't seem to be upset about that. Or if they are all of a sudden wondering if they can really trust him. And I can get that. We've all seen Braveheart when the – the Irish who are getting paid all of a sudden turn around and attack the English instead. It was a great scene. Um, so it lets them not know how much they can trust him. But they really seemed upset just that he doesn't care enough. It's like, come on. You're, you're going to have a purity test on how much they like he likes your cause b- before you storm this thing? Like, what the hell? Come on. Yeah, I mean, the, the other rebels came off, as, came off as really super fussy. And sort of a pain in the ass, most of them, because they were mad yeah. that this guy shows up, even though Val's like, look, he's got to happen. And then, like, they fight that the whole time. They want his backstory the whole time. Finally, he comes clean. They don't like that. Like, it just seems like a bunch of pain in the I, ass. I mean, I, I get upset when plans change last minute, even if they're changing for the better, just because I get confused and it's not what I was expecting. So, um, still, you're right. Like, she got an improvement. She got us some backup. Hey, we said we needed another guy. It's late. Sorry, but here's the other guy. Yay, we got the other guy just in time. All right, come over here. We got, we got a lot to do in a few days. That's, that's what I would have expected. Instead, they're like, no, we have to call the whole thing off now, except we can't. So we just have to pout, but pout really rebelliously. Yeah, they were, they were sort of painful. But, but meanwhile, we learn, and this is super important to the heist, but then also important to show what kind of operation our guy Lucian's really running, which is – Gore, they have an inside man, Lieutenant Gorn, in mm-hmm. the in the this Imperial outpost, and it makes you wonder 
how many of these people have made connections with folks who are interested in the rebellion, like a Mon Mothma or Luthan or whoever. Um, because the whole thing wouldn't have worked without this guy, because they, they do have an inside man. Of course not. Uh, Officer Cyril's uh, mother is really giving him shit about looking for a new job, connects him with his uncle, and then we learn that our boys get a new job. We 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 don't know that uncle's name, do we? The name the uncle keeps sounding familiar, but I, I that's that's not a thing, right? He's not a character. Not that I know of. It might okay. be, but not that I know of. Um, <laughs> Von Mothma establishes a charitable foundation, which I assume is to help her move money around um, a little bit more freely than what she was be able to do before. So, uh, yeah, having a charitable foundation, it would be I like it, it was fun. Yeah, like it's honest. never happened before in our society. Somebody would start a charitable foundation, and it would be a front for something else. But I guess in this fictional world, uh, this is something that we can make a leap and assume somebody could do. It's very funny because I, I had forgotten this until I just was rewatching it. In the first 30 minutes of episode four, Darth Vader says to the princess, there's no charitable mission this time. Like you're, you're the idea of you go on all these charitable things that I'm suspicious about, but you don't even have the cover of that this time. So it shows that, no, that's this callback. Yeah. Callback, Jamie. That was really I, good. I didn't know that. That line. I, I, I bet that's why they, they built this little detail in. Family movie night. It's very crucial. It'll, it'll, it's, it's good. It's good. But, wow, um, that was a really good connection. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, ISB supervisor Belvin, um, this is the, basically the antagonist to Deidre. Um, uh, acquires the hotel as a new ISB uh, coordinators on Ferrix. So he's basically got a new outpost, like like place on Ferrix that he's going to set up shop. And his rival, Miro, who's the girl that we know, um, her assistant, uh, reached the conclusion that the rebels are conducting a series of coordinated heists on Imperial weapons technology. She's right about that. Uh, she's right about a lot, by the way. Uh, our Quyburn really should promote her. She's pretty good. <laughs> Luthan anxiously awaits news of the heist on Aldani, and that's a very human moment where he basically, like, he he has to delegate a lot of this crap down to the field, literally the field, for this heist, and then he just sit there on pins and needles wondering if it worked, right? It's a really, mm-hmm. really good scene. Anything else on episode five before we jump into the biggin', the biggin' episode six? Um... Nah, go ahead. There was something about about the planet that I wondered at the time, but I can't remember it now. If it comes up, I'll ask. Aided by Gorn, the rebels infiltrate. Gorn is the, the inside man, uh, the Imperial guy they have on the inside of the rebels. This is episode 60. Infiltrate the garrison by posing as an escort squad for the most commandant of commandant actors they could have possibly grabbed. This guy who plays Bihas, he's just like, just fat colonel. Like, he just plays the role perfectly. It's absolutely great. And he's Gordon's supervisor, by the way. And then, like, we find out through some of the dialogue in this episode that, like, I don't know if Gordon is, like, super into the rebellion or not, but I know he doesn't like his fucking boss because he makes that clear that, like, he really didn't like working under this guy. And that's probably part of his motivation for helping these guys out. So I, I had assumed that he was actually, like, uh, that his parents were locals or something because they, they kept being all this, like, oh, we don't like the locals and him just, like, giving side eyes or something like could that. Could be. So. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. That well, could be part well of we it. find out. We find out in this episode. We learn. Because they because they play um, they play so much on like everybody involved in subverting the empire they they want us to get motivation and they they, they flesh out that it's so different for everybody and, um, and I, while they're I, doing this I think kind of almost the takeaway is the empire really gave a lot of people a lot of different things it's not yeah. that hard to find a reason you know um, okay their their village was killed 
their crops were just killed. And that was enough that his brother killed himself, true or not. You know, it, we, so with, with the guard, we find out in this episode, not to get ahead on your synopsis, that it was his either wife or love or girlfriend was a local and was disappeared, um, presumably was killed. Thank you. Um, and, and by the fact that in this episode, spoiler for what we're going to talk about in 10 seconds, he dies. Uh, I assume his story is done and that his wife actually was killed or girlfriend or whoever. Um, but, you know, it kind of the idea of the tighter you grip, the more system slips through your fingers. The more you oppress people, the more the people are going to feel oppressed. Uh, they're, the empire is a very blunt instrument being wielded by one person to cover an entire galaxy. Uh, and so when you're just swinging around, we need some farms. Well, where are farms? Take those farms. The end. And don't look back. No, you just left like a thousand people who now don't have farms. And now they all have a thousand stories. And a lot of those are going to be against you later. You're sowing you're sowing uh, something that you're not going to want to reap later is basically what this is showing that the Empire does left and right, not even realizing what they're doing. Um, well, it's a blunt instrument being wielded by one person. However, sometimes it's wielded by not that one person, right? Not, not by the emperor. And it seems to me that people who are have the ability to wield the imperial apparatus, you have to be pretty high up to be in this conversation. Well, they can so, only be they can only be worse than the emperor, right? Like it seems like Tarkin at times can be way more like heartless. Even in the Emperor, it, with with normal casual people on the ground, but if like if Tarkin was the other way, if Tarkin was like, oh, let's show like a bunch of like kindness to people, like I feel like he'd be like he'd be like, there's no way he would have gotten that leadership position. So basically, what I'm trying to say is like it's either the Emperor or it's worse than the Emperor, and that's the yeah. only two options you have in this in this apparatus. Right. So so I guess what I mean by that is you know the Emperor is setting it, and everybody else is is not encouraged to make exceptions for people, is not encouraged to make things nuanced or expend any extra resources beyond what you're told to do to help anybody. It is get the, do the thing and nothing else. So, you know, yeah. the emperor says we need farms. All right, well, I'm going to get farms and nothing else. And so you're right. It is being wielded by these other people and each of them have to make it more blunt. If you had, <laughs> If you had an empire where every single person was as smart and nuanced as the emperor, first of all, they'd be killing each other a lot. That would actually be really fascinating. Just a thousand clones of the emperor all at each other's throats. But um, I know. But they'd be able to do a better job because he is smart. Uh, He would understand the repercussions and the people and the effects that they're going to have. But but he's not. He can't be everywhere. He has to delegate it down. And so all these people are the hammer that he's swinging around and they can only do it in blunt um, blunt ways, and so it's and just, most of the time even, they're harsher than he is, right? Because most right. of the time we see Darth Vader and Tarkin specifically as being harsher than the Emperor is on a on a person to person situational basis, right? And 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 this kind of shows how you know bureaucracy removes the heart and intent and nuance from things a lot of the time. Sorry to you, politician loving people, um, but it, but it does because it says you know the the intent to, to get into the law, the intent of the law matters but only if the letter of the law is unclear. The letter of the law is the thing you do, and everything that was the intent actually gets thrown out the window if the letter of the law is clear. You only have to do the thing. The law itself is actually rather blunt, um, when it can be at least. And so the more you have to rely on the apparatus of empire, 
the more you have to rely on the law, on the rules, on just instructions other people are going to have to follow. Um, and the more you discourage nuance and kindness and uh, exceptions, the more you're going to just hurt in random ways, random people left and right without realizing it. Anyway, sorry, that, that was just the thing I was realizing. Now they all had a story and they were all very predictable, even as they were all really unique. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, it like it all builds toward that moment at the end of episode six, where the second Death Star is destroyed and the Emperor dies, and like we see these shots all from around the galaxy of all these planets cheering. Like I feel like it's just building that case for that scene. Like how did we get to that point where when they catch wind that the second Death Star dies, that the Emperor is gone, that fucking parties break out everywhere? Why is it like that? I do a question for you. Absolutely, mm-hmm. apropos of nothing. You. You, Jamie, you are now in universe, and you are on trial for something you did not commit, and you're trying to plead your case to the Empire. Who do you want here in your case? I'm going to give you four options. The Emperor himself, Darth Vader, Tarkin, or Thrawn. I'm going to confess I know nothing about Thrawn, so I'm just excluding that one. because I, I, You all talk about how awesome he is, and I, just, I haven't seen Clone Wars. I don't know Thrawn. Um, so... I, I'm being judged. That's good that you're excluding him because the answer is Thrawn. So, like, let's say let's exclude him because that's the easy answer. He's he's like the probably the nicest one of the four. But let's okay. go Darth Vader, Emperor Tarkin. Uh, Emperor. I would too. Uh, Darth Vader will probably just kill me, or for the for the verdict. <laughs> yep, the, will probably just kill me for the verdict. Um, or you know, punish me, threaten me, and now know who I am, and my life's gonna be significantly worse. Uh, Tarkin, um, Tarkin, so, so, uh, Darth Vader would be the worst because you'd probably just die. Tarkin, you pr- might die. You'd probably just like be stripped of your rank and be put in prison. Um, a lot of examples. Tarkin is very big, big into examples. You'd be made an example of for sure. Very likely. Yes. So the idea that you'd be stripped of your rank and put in a, not even killed, put in a, a pillory is a lot higher. Or maybe um, you'd be, I don't know, like in a prison with electronic, you know, uh, electrocuting floors, having to build TIE fighter parts. I don't know. Yeah. The emperor would be much more likely to use you in a much more beneficial to him way. But he did like doing it in a way that you would think was in your own best interests. Whether it was or not, uh, probably not in the long run, but at least in the medium term, whatever he's using you for is probably what you want somehow. So – Yes, his would be the one where uh, it would uh, it would clearly be the most evil for the universe. But if I'm being selfish for myself, I think he would be most likely to not treat me the worst. I agree. I would use the emperor too. Uh, I think that's the answer, and that that's kind of like apropos of the conversation, right? Like, so so Thrawn, how they Thrawn's how they like, wield this? Yeah, Thrawn's like a shrimp, right? That's that's what Thrawn means, right? Like a, a shrimp. Or um, a a, be, a blue one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, one. good. Uh, so, so Zoidberg, but blue. That's who so Thrawn somebody is, who right? doesn't know about Thrawn, you're going to have a really good 2023. It's going to be like a very fun Star Wars year for you because I think you're going to get some a lot of Thrawn in the Ahsoka series. I think they're going to start to build into it in Mandalorian Season 3. And then I think – I could be wrong. But I think that'll pique your interest in the character, and you'll learn more. And, and he's one of the best Star Wars characters. There. You're going to have to tell me then, since I'm so close, should I still try to – binge Clone Wars first, or should I just say, look, I've gone this far watching half an episode of Clone Wars, just enjoy next year's shows, and then, you know, for, to go and seeing Thrawn with open eyes. No wrong answer. Okay. 
There's All no right. wrong answer. You're going to have fun either way because if you get the backstory, that'll that obviously will be great. Clone's War, Clone Wars is fun, but if not, I think you're going to be introduced to a new character via live action. That's going to be a lot of fun for you and the audience. Anybody who doesn't know about Thrawn, that's going to be great that they build him into the live action stuff they're doing on the TV shows. So back to the recap. Um, uh, while they're loading the credits that we talked about before, all of these coins, physical coins, they are caught in a firefight ensues. At one point, the commandant has a heart attack, which I found funny. Like, he's not used to physical labor at all. That is funny. Cassian, Skeen, Val, and Nemec, those are names that Jamie knew very well, uh, escape, take off. Uh, Nemec has a spinal injury when one of the massive loads of credits rolls back onto him, which sucks because he seems to be the nicest one there. I, I liked um, him. I was I, I didn't I didn't I, like that part. They wanted you to they wanted you to like him. They always do that. Oh, they, that's, they, in these high scenes they always create one nice guy and that's the one that, that, that gets it. The expanse did that too. Like oh gosh, hated it. Didn't yeah, like it. House of the Dragon just did it. They made you love the little the little guy Lucerys and then they got eaten by a dragon. Um so they always do that. They build the sympathy for the character and then they kill him. They take off um for it's basically they they're going somewhere right but then they take off to a different planet to try to treat Nemec's uh, spinal injury uh does not work does not work um he dies uh and dur- while he's being worked on and Vel who seems very worked up about the whole thing with Nemec because she's a leader I mean she she, she does do a good job managing her, these people her I her think. whole crew died she you know and and before you get too far they only partially succeeded there was a lot of money left behind. Yeah, they, well, they took they took. A, I think the implication is later they took most of it, but yeah, not all. Of okay, they, they they acted like it was success. Success. Everybody treats it like success. They took a lot. I, I get that it's a big blow to the empire, or at least a noticeable blow, um, and it's a boon to them for money. I get. I don't that. think it. Like I don't. I honestly don't think it fucking matters. There was the a lot left in there when the fight when the gun started shooting. I don't think it really, like, tactically mattered to the Empire. I think it's, like, the idea that this could occur is the bigger problem. Like, I mean, this is just one quarterly payroll for one outpost system somewhere. Like, they have plenty of money. They print the money. But I think the problem is, like, wait a second. Somebody can do this, and now they're fu- now they're funded? Like, I, I think it was more of a uh, perception thing. Okay. It, they could have just not told anybody. That's true. That's the, Empire, true. The, the Empire decided they wanted to tell people. I think they, yeah, I think they were trying to create sympathy for uh, antagonism against the rebels. Like, hey, they stole money. They they stole people's money for payroll. Or, yeah. I don't know. They, they're waging a PR campaign too. It's not very successful, but they try. And, and another question. This is an argument I actually got in with my wife. So, uh, what's her name? Uh, Val's uh, love interest, the the who is guarding the wife and the kid. Yes. Does she kill the wife and kid? I'll tell so we don't know, but she seems like she's got it in her. I she seems like somebody who will kill you. And, and they talked about how she hates the Empire because they killed her family. She doesn't there's, play. There's a lot of people who have tit-for-tat ideas. Um, you know, these people, you know, the, the kid obviously is just a kid, but the wife obviously is at least okay being married to a big, important, intentional Empire person who does all this bad stuff. So the wife isn't a great human being, um, presumably. I say no, that she didn't, that they needed her there to do it in case it needed to be a real threat or the guy wouldn't have taken it seriously. So they put somebody there who would do it and they, and she would have, but just killing two people because they are related to a now dead empire guy 
seems to serve no purpose. I don't think they would have. I, I don't think so. But um, apparently, apparently the Internet thought that she definitely did. Um, I, I she seems like somebody who would. I mean, she does. She's she's pretty harsh, um, especially well, in later episodes. Um, I, I think like um, fewer witnesses, I guess. I don't know. I, I think that like we're going to I hope I hope we see some of the rebels do bad things morally because it, it just happens in a rebellion. You can't you can't everybody who's going to sign up to a rebellion is not going to have a hundred percent good moral compass. Like there's going to be some people who in the desire for this fight end up getting super sideways. Like I'm recently been watching the rings of power and like Galadriel in the first episode, like she clearly in her fight against, um, do you have a podcast Sauron, about that? Can we do, can we do a podcast Sauron about and Morgoth, that? like she's starting to become a little sideways in this quest and her moral compass is starting to shift a little bit because of her like, Becoming obsessed with the enemy, and I think we can, we need to see some of that out of the rebellion. It's just it's just realistic, right? That would be interesting, and this would kind of be a good place to do it. I would not be surprised if we see that actually, because we are already seeing. And again, I don't know where it cuts off at the end of six versus what I'm now remembering from seven and eight, but differences of opinion of people thinking you shouldn't have done that or we should do this. No, don't do that. That's bad. And some strongly different opinions. I want to, I, I do want to hold that off to talk about next time, but um, I, I think you're right. I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, the idea of some people would say excess in the pursuit of justice is not a sin. Well, I mean, if she's telling the kid, I think that's, that's, um, I think that's a sin. <laughs> as, as bad. It would be, it would be a go, it'd be a no go for me too. But like, I could see how you're going to get some of that in a rebellion, right? Um, so Nemec ends up dying, but during during Nemec's surgery, Cassian and Skeen are talking, and Skeen is like, "Hey, let's take let's take the money and run." And Cassian's like, eh, "I don't think I like you very much." And he um, kills the guy. I took him killing Skeen because a he was put off with Skeen just being a piece of crap because Cassian, like, as much as he's trying to play the mercenary here does have like sympathies for what these people are trying to accomplish. He doesn't love the empire, right? It's, it's, I don't think he's quite at the point. He's certainly not at the point we see at the start of rogue one, but like he is not an imperial sympathist, uh, sympathizer. And like, I think he's, he's really put off with Skeen's actions. I also think he's feels threatened. His life is threatened in that moment too. And so he kills Skeen for that purpose. So I think it's kind of like two purposes is what I read into it. what you think? So first I, my first guess was wrong as he were, they were having this conversation, I thought this is a test. I, I really thought it did. And I was even oh, I was talking. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought that would have been test. interesting. It was. It would have been. Um, I thought, you know, this is a test. He's checking to see whether this mercenary is actually worth being in the rebellion. This guy's checking to see, do I need to kill this guy? Because this guy has seen our faces. He knows where we're going. If this guy, mercenary, is actually, you know, honorable to the cause and cares more about what we did. He, he did it for money. But if he does care, if he would turn down money and put himself at risk to protect us, then he's good to go. We, we can be square. If he takes the, me up on this, we need to kill him because we can't have these kind of loose ends. I thought that was going to happen. Then he shoots the guy in the head, and I say, well, I hope that was not a test. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't I think it was, though, because when he – because, yeah, because Vell would have known, right? And he went in and told Vell, and Vell didn't believe him that Skeen had done that. Like Right. So, so, well, yeah. so it still, in theory, could have been a test that – this guy was like, you know, Vel's in there doing. He could have been doing it on his own. Yeah. I, I'm doing this on my own because I don't trust you. It could have been a test, which is kind of funny. 
I'm that gonna, is a kind of a funny idea that he just like, oh shit, I didn't have a chance to tell him. I, I think I'm going to hold that as like my fan theory that it was actually just a test. But uh, I, I saw somebody post online every time that they're watching Andor and they think, oh gosh, they really need to shoot this guy. They immediately do shoot the guy like three seconds later, and that it's just that the people in Andor are not dumb. I think it was pure. I don't think it was um, you know this guy is bad on Andor's part. I think it was strategic, knowing. If I don't shoot this guy, if I take him up on it, I'm an, an, uh, an asshole, and high chance this guy's going to backstab me too and kill me. If I take well, him up and on you it. also now you you are enemies of the Empire and the Rebellion. Like you pissed right. off everybody at this point. So so if I take him up on it and it goes well, that's going to suck. If I take him up on it and he kills me, that sucks. If I don't take him up on it and now I know that he is wanting to do this, he's going to kill me to keep me quiet so I don't tell the others, and that's going to suck. This is a terrible situation to be in. I just need to kill him because he is a bad person. He's doing bad things. He deserves to die. And if I don't kill him, I am going to die. But we see a bit of Cassian's morality, right? Because he comes in, gun, you know, pointed at Val, and he's like, I he's only – He's smart. Like, you know, I, only I just want killed the part, you, Well, yeah, he should have. But he also says, I only want the money that I was promised. And by the way, here's the jewel back. Like, so he isn't – like. He he does a deal have a deal. Like, a deal a is a deal. He, yeah, he's got some moral compass. Man's got to have a code. I, I, Omar. Man's got to <laughs> have, have a code. But uh, we're, 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 he, he was a businessman doing business. Like, that's all I, I don't know. I, I you're. I think the the main driver is his personal safety and like the position that Skeen put him in. But I could be wrong. But I felt like there we're starting to get this sort of like building of like he's a little bit more sympathetic to these people than he's maybe even willing to admit to himself. Right. He he's very self-centered he cares about himself the most but he's not like the evil greedy self-ish where he wants to take things that he should not take from people like he he borrows from people all the time with no specific plan for repaying them but as soon as he can he does he puts himself at risk in order to go repay them all back i'm getting ahead of myself sorry about that but the idea that Sure. He, he he his his self preservation is number one. Well, we know we know, and like they shouldn't hide that, right? Because we know no. that Cassian becomes a very very moral character by the yeah. time we get to um, by the time we get to the the movie, right? So like they shouldn't they shouldn't shy away from that. His his ascent into this sort of like moral position, I would say, mm-hmm. as like a rebel leader, because that's eventually going to happen. We all know that. Um, back on Coruscant. The uh, oh, uh, Vel also gives Cassie a Nemec's manifesto in accordance with Nemec's dying wishes. Nemec wanted Cassie to have it. Back on Coruscant, ISB agents are gathered to formulate reprisals to the heist. I love that sort of all hands that happens where the major's like, "Hey, like y'all ain't y'all ain't going to sleep tonight because something happened. It's made everybody angry. I'm sure the emperor heard about it and didn't like it. And like we're gonna do, we're gonna try to deal with this, right? Luthen hears news and quietly celebrates. And I gotta say. That him in the back of that shop with the little radio hearing about it and cheering had me fucking fist pumping against the screen. Only the part of this episode that I really want to point out that I thought they did really well was the eye itself, like the natural phenomenon event. It was cool. It was just beautiful. Uh, it was really well done on the screen. I really liked how they did that. Anything. So I think most people, um, the common narrative is that episode six was like the big bang theory, the big bang episode here. Like it was the one that like, shit popped off and it was like you just wait till you get to episode six it's super important et cetera et cetera 
Was it your favorite of these first six episodes? Um, no, I think three was where the big fight on his hometown and him having to run away and everything. Um, that one, you know, one episode one, I was kind of confused and a little bored. Like it was fine. It was interesting. There was neat stuff going on. I liked the characters, but it was very all over the place. I, didn't I struggled it. with episode one too. Uh, episode one, episode two was fine. Kind of brought it back to place. And three made me like the show and decide this is a great show. And then I, I felt like four, five, six, kind of, yeah, I felt like four, five, six carried it on and six was good. It had neat stuff in it. But no, I, I felt like episode three was actually the high watermark of the, of the series so far. Episode three made me like the show too. I, I had a similar sort of relationship with it, right? Because I, I was I was on a work trip, I was in a hotel, and I was like, I got first three episodes of Andor, let's roll. And I watched the first two, and I was like, I am done. <laughs> I don't think I like this. And then I, somebody pushed me to watch episode three, and when I did, I was like, Whoop, let me go back and watch one two again. And then I blew, I, now I'm super into it. And but I will say that for me. Uh, episode six was my favorite just because um, I love when they I, I don't know. I like the big action sequence, the build to it, the drama, the whole thing. I mean, the whole high sequence was really enjoyable. And then like this sort of point of no return for Cassian um, and how the the whole tr- uh, the whole reaction to the, the, the bits of the Imperial apparatus that we see was really fascinating to me. And then also Luthan in the back of that shop, fist pumping. We did it. We, we, we took their money. We, we, yeah. got the, we got the big baddies. I don't know. I really liked episode six. But I see your point on three, and I, that is what connected me to the show, too. That's what got me into it. Yeah. Okay. We've gone through our six-episode review. Jamie, anything else you want to say about Andor here on our, our Andor buy buy what, what do we call this? No, buy show? No, Biannual? Buy cereal? Buy cereal? Buy, buy, buy cereal. Check-in of Andor here. Any other thoughts? By season. By seasonal. Semi-seasonal. Bi-seasonal. I like that. Bi-seasonal check-in of Andor. Um, how embarrassed should I be that it took me, like, multiple episodes before I actually understood that Andor was, like, not a location. It was only a name. Like, really embarrassed? I Probably really embarrassed. I think because they have on the – so, I know A, I know you were joking, but I think that, like – it, because of the the, the, the the number of episodes the, was the entire first episode. Like at the end of the first episode, I was oh wait. But look not, at the but look at the the imp, imp, the credit the opening like credits. It looks like a planet behind Ant, the name Andor. I get what you're saying. And there's a lot of planets with a lot of weird names, and a lot of them start with A's. I'm look. I'm 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 yeah. I I, I am what I am. Um, no, I, I I think we covered it pretty well. I like it a lot. I love what it's doing. Uh, I I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast before, um, but just to and I think I've told it to you. I, my idea that Star Wars is a wonderful universe they built with a lot just going on, uh, a lot of creativity, and it's well fleshed out. And everything that they add to it is has been done well so far. So they've just created this great backdrop that I want. I want a film. They've done a western, and it was great. They've done a heist, it was great. I want a film noir. I want you know D- Dick Tracy in space. I want a romantic comedy. In the Star Wars universe, I think they I think they just wrote the book Princess and the Scoundrel. I think they could they could do a. Uh... Nope, no, not even that. No, I want a completely. There are no Jedi. There are no senators. There are no Sith. It is just a by the numbers rom com. Exactly. Just Harry Met Sally on Coruscant. Yes, just better than better than average generic rom com. And there are aliens Christmas in the background. Movies, Christmas movies, Star Wars Christmas movies, but love like it. real good ones this time. I love it. And, and you don't even know what planet you're on because, I mean, how often do we say the word Earth on a day-to-day basis? They don't mention the planet or your country or your state. You don't say it that often. So we don't even hear it. Then at the end, you know, kiss, 
start to fade to white. And in the background, you notice that you're on Alderaan and there's, there's all of a sudden a bright light in the sky and then fade to white credits. I think you raise a good point here in your, in your, in your jag, which is that there's a lot of stories they can tell now. Um, yep. and they're, they're, they're changing the tone. They're not scared to tell different types of stories. The, and like Andor, Andor is probably their biggest reach so far, I would say, like as far as away from what they have been doing with everything else. Like it's, it's a diff, it's more, di- more, to me, it's more different than anything, any other different I've seen among Star uh, Wars pieces. I think you're right. Of, at least of the live, of the live actions. That's what we're really talking live about. Live action. Yeah. That's what I mean. Um, so I was thinking Rogue One, sort of, but this is more different. This kind of Rogue One was one step in this direction. This is just another step in that direction. Yes. Um, I, Mandalorian felt so different, but it was still a Western. And in a lot of ways, A New Hope is a Western, yes. sort of. Um, so, uh, very different, but also very the same at the same time. So I, I guess you're right. This is This is the first one that is kind of a different genre almost. Um, I mean, there's a there's a post hookup scene where the 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 woman is putting her pants on. Like, I mean, it's it's more adult than what we've seen. Well, in I mean, Star Wars th- there's a post hookup scene where somebody gives birth too. So, I mean, everything's post hookup if there's a hookup, and then you keep rolling cameras. <laughs> Just that's true. Well, we're, I guess we're all in a post a post hookup scene. But I mean, <laughs> she's putting her pants on on bed. Like it's more it's more adult than what I've seen in Star Wars yeah. before. Yes, I I, I do agree. They, I love it. I uh, I was, think Tim was drunk. Really good. Tim was drunk when he when he called it in. Yeah, for sure. They, they showed a drunk person making questionable decisions. Also, they showed you narcs get stitches. True. Yeah, he got what's coming to him. Yeah, uh, I'll say that Andor. I, I I thought I'd like it because of what I heard they were trying to do with it. I've liked it more than I thought I would. I, I find myself looking forward to it on a week by week basis more than I've looked forward. To anything other than maybe the f- second season of Mandalorian. Wait, you like second season of Mandalorian better than first season? Yeah, I did. Well, I was just more locked into it at that point. Um, I was still getting my training wheels on me with, with season one, trying to figure out what they were doing and understanding the Grogu character. But by the time I got to season two, like, my affection for the show had sort of – I'm not saying season two is necessarily better than one. I would have to go do a deep dive for that. But I, my investment was higher by the time we got to two. So, so my favorite is Mandalorian because I just love it for what it is, and it's all, it can be a standalone if you wanted it to be of just something awesome. It's I think Mandalorian is the spiritual successor to Firefly and Serenity, honestly, almost more yeah. than. And, I, and I love, yeah, it's okay. closer to Firefly than maybe uh, Empire Strikes Back. The reason why Obi Wan and Endor, and I guess this will be my, my closing thing, are, are are my second and third favorite, and don't really make me choose which. Obi Wan is better than this for me, I think, but they're my second and third. Those two shows, Obi Wan and Andor, so far make the nine movies better. The other nine movies get more depth and are improved by the existence of Obi-Wan and by Andor. And that is a really high bar when you have a sequel that makes the, the original better or a side part that improves the original. Sure. Yeah, both of them do that to varying degrees for different people, right? I mean, the impact it's going to have on the main series is going to differ based on how much you liked it, your interpretation of it, or whatever. For me... Someone who loves the bureaucratic details of these worlds, um, Andor is Andor's adding more to the series than Obi Wan did. But I'm, that's just my my interpretation. I can yeah. I can fully say that both are both really do flesh out the stories. Like I would say that for a lot of people, Obi Wan reintroduced the prequels and made them appreciate some things about the prequels 
that they maybe didn't before. Um, so shout out to them for that. And we even went on this podcast network and, and went back and reviewed episode one, two, and three. Tried to look at it through a new light based on what we saw through Obi-Wan. Yeah, I can't remember if we did that specifically because the Obi-Wan one made us want to, but it made me – It was a natural thing. We were just sitting here arguing about the prequels because it generated so much – Obi-Wan series generated so much conversation about it that we were like, yeah, fuck, let's just go back and – Well, and and as soon as I finished Obi-Wan, I I immediately went into watching one through six. I've I've rewatched one through six after Obi-Wan specifically for that, and this must make sense. You know, you like kind of the – that aspect of the world building that Andor uh, is building more on. I love the world building, but I also, the thing that, the thing that was improved by Obi-Wan, um, the Obi-Wan character, Darth Vader was made better. Darth Vader was made better for sure. Darth, Darth Vader pre and post, like in the prequels, I, I, I felt better connection to the prequels from it, but also watching, um, watching episode four after episode three, I don't, re- I didn't really see Anakin in, Episode four, Darth Vader. But with the Obi-Wan as a middle thing to help that arc to see a more clearly Anakinized, for a lot of reasons, Darth Vader, it, it bridged the gap. And now my brain can make the full connection of them instead of having this break. So that's why I made I, I care a little bit more about the people and it sure. made the people better. This is making the world building better. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and I mean, I think a lot of people realize that what they did with the Darth Vader character really improved it. I mean, if you hadn't like read the books and the comics and stuff, cause they do that in the books and comics too. Um, to the point that like Hayden Christensen won a, a Saturn award, uh, as like the best, um, guest actor, uh, or, um, I guess supporting actor in any sort of sci-fi fantasy television show the past year, which I, I think is well-deserved. I think he did a great yeah. job. Uh, anything else on and or before we wrap up? Nope. I, I think I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Really enjoyed it. So we are going to continue dutifully watching Andor every week. I think we're in real time. We're up to episode eight. So we got me and you have four more weeks, four more episodes to watch. And then we will do a six through 12 recap the same way we did these, uh, which will also serve as a season season wrap up of Andor. So I look forward to doing that with you. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to tell me how many of these I have to do before I'm actually the co-host and Spencer is a little. That's what I was about to say is like you, you keep saying like, uh, they, of course, you're welcome. Like, you know, I appreciate you saying oh, welcome. Thank you for having me. But like at this point, you're kind of like part of the, the, the network here. So uh, you're sort of like a, a natural co-host for us. So I look forward to doing that with you soon. I, I don't want to be an official part of it. I just want to usurp Spencer. That just sounds like a fun thing to do. Uh, well, you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> we will uh, be back with everybody uh, here in a couple of weeks, probably about a month, maybe month to five weeks uh, to wrap up Andor. And in the meantime, please go subscribe to enjoy your stay on unofficial White Lotus podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun breaking down White Lotus. And if you are catching up on House of the Dragon or you know just getting into that series or plan to watch it at some point in the future, Spencer and I covered every single episode of House of the Dragon. Two episodes a week over on the Pot of the Dragon podcast feed. That's Pot of the Dragon, so you can check those episodes out and see what we had to say about House of the Dragon. Thanks everybody for listening. Back with more podcast.